Welcome to another episode of the History of Networking on the Network Collective, where we mind meld with some of the brightest minds in networking. Today, we are talking about the history of BGP security. So grab a pile of cookies and a drink of your choice and join us for another History of Networking. Good morning, Jeff. It's good evening for us, but it's good morning for Jeff. That's just the way it works when you're in Australia. We told him when he first came on that he looks like he's in Australia. Look at all that nice wood paneling back there. And I mean, I just I just can't compete with that wood paneling, Jeff. It was way it was way fancier than any of the rest of us who all just have drywall behind us. I, know, I can't compete with that stuff, man. So how are you this morning, Jeff? I'm very well, thanks, Russ. Now, I'm in the old Australian forestry school where they used to cut down trees and then plaster the walls with the stuff. Um, <laughs> venerable old office, yes. So I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Good, good. And today's topic is routing security. Yeah, BGP, routing, whatever you'd like to talk about. So let's start at the beginning. I don't remember that far back. I'm old. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when Russ says he doesn't remember that far back, it's not because he wasn't around. It's because he's losing his memory at this point. <laughs> you got to throw back to around 1988-89 and the advent of the National Science Foundation Network, the NSFNet. And before that network came along, there were various incarnations of networks and routing. Um, predominantly because of the interchange between the old ARPA internet, uh, ESnet, and uh, the NASA Science Internet. So we're talking and, about Hello Protocol and Fuzzballs. Is that how We are talking all the way back to the Hello Protocol um, and, and Fuzzballs and this whole mess of basically static tables and really small routing tables. BGP was a, originally an invention that came out of um, Cisco, and I think Len Bozak had a fair deal to do with it. And it, I must admit, it was a radically different kind of protocol. Um, it still is. <laughs> well, different of the We're same. We're used to it now. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, the guts of it is still the same guts as the guts of RIP. It is a straight-distance <laughs> vector protocol, truly. I tell you what I know. <laughs> if I unknow something because I'm having a senior moment, I let you know that I don't know it. And it's kind of this astonishing rumour protocol that just simply says, I tell all my neighbours everything my other neighbours told me and we'll just take it from there. Now, instantly you kind of go, well, that's a problem because I tell you something and you tell me the same thing back. Haven't we got a loop? And then the answer is, well, yeah. And... <laughs> You either solve this in two ways. You solve it badly, which is what Rip did, and we have this count to infinity problem, and Rip just simply says, as soon as you get to 16, it's a dud, throw the route out. Or you do what BGP did, which is leave a snail trail. So when I tell you something, I add to that route, Jeff told me. And then when you tell me back, you say, well, Jeff told me, Russ told me. And every time you receive an ad, a routing advertisement, you look for yourself. And if you see yourself, you know that's not a real route, it's a loop. So, so, so the AS path is actually multicolored breadcrumbs, just so you understand what Jeff is. It is multicolored breadcrumbs. <laughs> and, and the whole idea of the AS path 
was to detect loops. But it did one other thing as well, which was kind of the problem that we'd been mucking around with for ages. What's a better path? If you tell me something and my friend Bert over there tells me something, how do I pick between the two? You know, what is the better choice in routing? Now, if I know about links and metrics and all kinds of stuff, or like hello, I know about delay, then I go and choose it based on the lowest of these attributes. But the issue is in the interdomain routing protocol, you run your network, I run my network, your metrics are different from mine. So how do you establish a common metric? So BGP simplified things. It simply said, the best path is the one that transits the lowest number of networks. So if I hear two routes to the same destination, I'm going to pick the one with the lowest AS path, the lowest transit path. Now, in essence, that's almost all there is to know about BGP. There's one other thing. <laughs> wow, we could, we could be done, Donald, right? Like, I'm I'm Donald, you're, you're done within, with coding now. You I, you're within one more thing. 10 years ago. <laughs> And the next thing, which is, again, a fundamental difference from RIP, is that they said, no, 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 UDP. I'm doing TCP. I remember that I told you because you act me. And because you act me, I'm never going to tell you again unless something changes. So you only ever say it once and you never say it again unless it changes. So BGP is incredibly frugal. Because if nothing changes, there's no activity. Because BGP assumes that routers never forget, you know, which is kind of bullshit. Routers are just crap. But, <laughs> but the theory of the protocol kind of says, look, just keep on going. If I tell you, I never tell you again. And once so you put a we, signature in the BGP packet, it always forgets. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, let's just move on from that. So the issue is, You've got this protocol, which is a normal distance vector protocol, but it's got a snail trail, an AS path, that you use for route selection and loop detection. And you've got this idea of TCP, which never forgets. That's important. And in fact, the only, I think if you think about it, there aren't too many protocols from 1988 that we use today. There really aren't. Thank and oddly you. enough, BGP is one of the few that's scaled by a factor of about a billion. You know, it is an amazing protocol. So <clears throat> it works. What's the problem? Well, <laughs> should, where should we start? Yeah, where should we start? <laughs> you know, <laughs> BGP is a rumor mill. When you put out a route into the network, that item of information only goes to your neighbor. They repeat it. They do not pass it on. And that's fundamentally different to, say, an IP packet where the router passes it on. So if I sign something in IP, I expect the destination device to receive my stuff. This is something that's really fundamental about BGP. A lot of people don't understand. You actually don't have an update that goes from point A to point B. You have an update that goes to the next router, to your eBGP peer or your IBGP peer. And then it's, it's ripped apart and put into data, into like all these data structures that are sorted to make building updates faster again. And then they're reconstituted on the way on the outbound side. This is fundamentally different than IP. IP is not hop by hop. 
This is actually a hop by hop protocol, much like RIP. People don't understand. Much like most protocols, wouldn't you say? I mean, most of them pulled apart and put it back together. Right. Well, not IP. No, no. IP end to end. The whole idea of IP was that if I send something in a packet, it makes it all the way to the other end. So if I encrypt it using your keys, only you can see it, and that's okay. But when you get this hop by hop, how do you demonstrate that the originator said it and can't unsay it when everyone is pulling it apart, stopping, and then sending on their own version? This is a rumor mill, not a letter. And and there's a fundamental difference between a rumor mill and a letter. The letter, I can seal it up, put a stamp on it, sign it, say it's me. Rumors are just that. And and after a while, you don't even understand who started the rumor. Attributions. It's the telephone game for routing. Yeah, yeah. Now, the problem is that the rewards for lying can be really high. You know, if I don't like someone, I just advertise a route to their addresses. Now, for the little area around me, you're no longer visible. I am. And I can cause all kinds of mayhem. Now you kind of go, well, that's very disturbing. But what if you're a bank? What if you're some information service? What if you're Google and I'm advertising your routes? Well, obviously bad things happen really, really quickly. So how do you stop a rumor mill going feral? You know, it's Mark Zuckerberg who has the problem here. We we do. That (laughs) there's a real issue around fake news in routing and trying to understand what's fake and what's real is actually an incredibly hard problem. So that then brings us to this issue of routing security. And, and to be perfectly frank, it's a topic that dates to almost the same age as BGP. I seem to remember some early ITF work way back in 1990. There are actually drafts going all the way back to B, uh, BGP v3 or v2. Yeah. I mean, all the way back. Exactly. Involved in it for a long time after that, but it's still, I mean, the drafts go way, way back. Right, because in a rumor mill, no one has, if you will, a greater weight of authority than anybody else. And because your your BGP protocol speakers are hardwired to accept the shortest AS path as being the right one, the way I hijack your routes is easy. I just advertise it with a short AS path. I lie. Or a longer prefix. Because everybody accepts that too. Well, that's the other thing too. You know, when stuff gets injected, how do you know it's the real deal? Yeah. So a bunch of problems flying around. And certainly in the life of of the old ARPA internet, the NSF net, even the early academic and research networks, this was a a fascinating topic for security academics and almost no one else. Because, you know, we all trusted each other you know. (laughs) And and even in the phone system, you know, all these 200 or so phone operators ultimately trusted each other. And so in a lot of these routing systems, you get this sort of phenomenal degree of saying, well, if you're qualified to be an operator, you're trustable. But, you know, if you look at BGP, today there are, what, 65,000 separate networks that announce routes? Yep. We trust them all, all 60, yep. you know, we, 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 we audit the lot. 
We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> but they're not least bit. It's another question, but we do. <laughs> we do. No, in actual fact, we don't. We don't. Um, and we, we, no one bothers. So all of a sudden, you get this massive problem of how do you know what's genuine and how do you know what isn't? And I suppose when you get to that point and you sit down and think about it, there are sort of two ways of looking at the problem. And that thread has actually gone through for the last 30-odd years. The first one is, is someone mucking around with the protocol? Now, the protocol says you accept routes, you digest them, you ruminate on them, you consider your options, you send the best paths to your neighbours. Now, yeah, your own it, best path, which is 14 plus, plus cost community steps long. Or whatever it is today. Who knows? But you're not allowed to invent stuff. Right. Yes. Right? You can't just sort of go, I'm pretending I heard something here because yeah. that's a violation of the protocol. And so the first thing that sort of folk fixate on is can I detect when folk deviate from the normal operation of BGP? Of the protocol, right. Of the protocol itself. Now, that's only half the problem. Because there's another set of problems that drive us nuts, and that's fat fingering. You and I, Russ, have this customer called Donald. Hi, Donald. <laughs> I think you're about to be. I'm clearly unsavory. <laughs> you're about to be. It's not a good look. Because I send you all my routes because you're my customer and I want you to use me. And Russ sends you all of his routes because you're his customer and he wants you to use him. You have a fat thinker problem. And all of a sudden, you send me all of Russ's routes. Now, I prefer short routes. And what if you lie and you do a bit of path trimming and all of a sudden, you look like a really good transit path to Russ? BGP will use you, abuse you, actually. Your links will run hot. I like Nothing it. wrong with the protocol. Nothing wrong with the protocol. Something's gone hideously wrong with your policy. You'll fat-fingered yourself into hell, right? And so the other part of the security problem is, is this what you meant to say? Yep. Because sometimes the attack is not an attack on the protocol. It's kind of attack on your routing policy. Yeah, it's an SQL injection attack. It's well, it's kind of the same thing, yes. Yes. Right, the, the protocol's running fine. Nothing wrong with yeah. the way the protocol works, but the information flow is kind of, this is all wrong. Right. And, and so we sort of stuck there with these two problems. Now, the first sort of real serious effort here was the routing policy. Geez, what did the S stand for? Impenetrably like obscure regular <laughs> expression language was what the S stood for. <laughs> RPSL, um, routing policy. I think it was specification. Well, language. now is this now is this before IRs or after, or is this in parallel with IRs? Was this part of the IR effort? Internet it was part of the Internet Route Registry effort. Okay. Because what the Internet Route Registry was actually trying to do was sort of a belts and braces approach. If you say what you mean to say in routing in some kind of database. 
and I receive a route that purportedly comes about you, I should be able to consult this database to check with what BGP is telling me with what you said you were going to do. And if what you're doing is not what you said you were going to do, I'm going to throw that out. Right. So these IRRs were built by who? I mean, I know there are private ones, but there were public ones, which were the primary ones at first, right? Well, okay. So let's go back and wind the clock back to, oh, got to remember the year. Oh, God, senior moment. Shit. 91? The NSF had a solicitation for two things. Um, to upgrade the backbone of the NSF net to T3, easy peasy, and to fund the development of a routing arbiter database, the RADB. Right, and, I remember this, right, yes. Right, so Merit won that RADB award and started work on construction of this database of routing. The whole idea was we're not going to secure the protocol we're going to allow folk running the protocol to check what they're hearing by consulting this database to see if what they're hearing from BGP is the same as what folks said they were going to announce. And if you deviate from what you said you were going to do, obviously you've got a problem, whatever that problem might be. So off they went down the RADB path, except <laughs> there's no such thing as one solution in this world, is there? And when the Europeans heard, <laughs> heard of this, <laughs> when the Europeans heard of this, the folk, the good folk at the right NCC, they went and built their own. Subtly different. And then when, um, who was it? MCI, which was kind of the underlying transport for the NSF at one point, when it started to build its internet, it had its own database. And then everyone started doing route registries and routing databases. And, you know, it just kind of went mad. Um, there are still about 30 today. And the problem is, of course, when you get 30 all purporting to say the same thing and they differ, who do you believe? I'm like, you right. know. And, yeah. and furthermore, there's at least two database formats, right, and two RPSLs that are subtly different. So they yeah. actually can't grab information from all 30 of these and munge them together in any like, the Western Atlantic and the, the Western Atlantic and the Eastern Atlantic language. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then came the next problem, which is even more insidious which I kind of love, how do you get stuff into Merit's RADB? Well, you just send them an email. But what if I'm talking about your routes? Well, you just send them an email. <laughs> but hang on, that's all wrong. I'm lying in the database. How do you stop people lying in the day? Oh, we're all good people and we'll never, ever, 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 ever lie in the database. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds, that sounds more pervasive than a false route advertisement in a lot of <laughs> <laughs> I just pick the AS I don't like and tell them it's supposed to come from me. That's right. Done. Forget and, thing. <laughs> and, and people did that. People did that all the time. Um, a lot of it was fat finger, but some of it was probably deliberate, you know. And, and so this idea that here's this database of truth and you can check your routing against truth became here is this database, some of which is true, but I'm not going to tell you which bits. And here's routing, some of which is true, and I'm not going to tell you which bits. Have and, a good and day. And good luck. It's 30, yeah. it's 30 databases out of which yeah, right. nobody's out of the 30. <laughs> so, okay, so let's make this worse. The notation used was hideous. Uh, the grammatical algebra across the language was insane. There was no security model. No one understood it. Um, yeah, right, this was really going to work, yeah? 
really, <laughs> really going to work? Not. So, you know, take that effort, put it to one side. It's still around. It's still around. And there are some communities which are fanatical about it. The Japanese curate their routing database. And it's a great thing if everyone plays by the same rules. But, you know, that's not the world. That's just Japanese routes. The Europeans used to spend a lot of time working on the right database. Same issue. The Americans, oh, I'm sorry, you guys, you're just all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> We're okay. Listen, you, can't, you can't tell us what to do. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to set up my own. You can't tell me what to do. And this exactly. is again and again and again. So, you know, problem. Move it to one side. So, so then came the deconstruction of the security problem. So if I'm really thinking about routing security, I'm trying to think of sort of two things. One is, how did that prefix advertisement get into the routing space in the first place? Who set this on fire, right? Who lit that match? And the second problem is, how did it propagate? And oddly enough, those two, you can sort of pull apart because the person who originates a route is not necessarily the owner of the prefix. It's the AS number that started all this off. And in theory, they should be able to demonstrate that the prefix holder gave them an authority to do so. So we often call this route origination, whatever you talk about. The idea is that some kind of visible action should say, I, the prefix holder, let you, this AS number, advertise a route. Even if it's both sides of me, I should be able to say that. So the route registries had that concept. A route object had an originating route. The problem is you could lie. Oops. So how do you make that tighter? That's a good question. And we'll get on to RPKI and making it tighter later. But that was the <laughs> first part of, of the problem. The second part is how do I know that these updates are real? that the path that they're expressing, because don't forget, BGP always picks the shortest path. There's an incentive to lie to make traffic come to me so I get lots of money. Um, how do you make sure that path is real? That it isn't someone just going, oh, well, I'm going to invent the fact I heard this from AS3 and I'm just going to invent a new path because, you know, what the hell? Um, without going too far into it at this point, difficult problem. But let's as usual with all things security, put that to one side and let's talk about origination for a second. Um, you know, there was this April Fool's Day RFC and I loved it. It was actually by Steve Bellavan. It was called the evil bit. And the whole <laughs> idea was that bad traffic always set the evil bit. That's so right. obviously if the evil bit was clear, the traffic is good, right? <laughs> cool. We seem to be just there with security still. Well, the problem we is really move behind behind we, we haven't because when you talk about most of this security stuff, you talk about talking about what's good. And the inference is, if I can't prove it's good, it must be, well, you're about to say bad, aren't you? But it's not, but it's not bad. Well, it's not, it's, it's. Deployment's a difficult problem. Right. It's not good. It's not, it, well, yeah. it's not good. 
Speak to That's the IPv6 folk. Speak to the IPv6 folk about deployment. And before they start crying, you start to realize that universal deployment is really, really hard. Yeah. And so if all the people who are marking stuff as good have a which, fine time. Which is why they hate NAT. Well, <laughs> if, if you're not marking it as good, sometimes it simply means you're not playing as distinct right. from the evil bit, right? Or you don't so, know. Yeah. You don't know. Yep. And, and what do you do with stuff you don't know? Well, it'd be stupid to drop it on the floor because you don't know. And, and so most of the issues around marking good relies immediately on knowing that everything that's good is so marked. Because if you don't know that, it's a bit like our old IRR databases. Here's a database of 10 entries, two are bad, but I'm not going to tell you which two. Pick one. And, and the and, problem is you have a one in five chance of picking a dud. And even and, worse, and even worse, if you're only marking that which is good, there's no way to intrinsically mark it so that the data itself changes if you remove the marking. It's just you can't. Right. So, so, so somebody could along the way say, I know that person over there is going to drop that because it's not marked as good. Therefore, I'll just remove the good marking and send it to them. I haven't lied about anything. I'm right. And, and, and this is this, this whole problem around the sort of the security world that marking stuff as good only works when everything that is good is so marked. Yeah. Right. And, and that kind of model of enforced universal deployment, you know, on the internet, there are so few things that actually do that. So, Jordan, how often does that happen in your average enterprise network? Um, I'm counting zero. No. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Much less the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you don't even have to talk about the scale of the internet, just just in general. It's yeah. just human nature, right? <laughs> in, the, in the way things get deployed. But it's even harder to coordinate on the internet just because of so many competing interests, competing yeah. priorities, the, just the well, fact that there's, there's no not one. Case. Yeah. There's no business yeah, case business. to mark that traffic, yeah. right? Right. It costs time and money. Yeah. So let's go back into how we kind of thought about origination and what we would do about it, you know. And the first of these that sort of looked tractable was actually using the DNS because if there's one fundamental axiom of the internet, just the basic truth, if you don't put it in the DNS, it's not worth doing. You know, if it's good, it's in the DNS because that's right. the axiom. Just stuff right. it in the DNS. Right. And so if we put the ASN that originates a route in the inadra.arpa space of the reverse DNS and we signed it with DNSSEC, <laughs> then I'm cool because when you see a route, you just look up its reverse inadra.arpa, find its ASN attribute and go, I like you, or I think you're horrible. And here, and hence we have Dane. <clears throat> well, Dane went in a different direction, but <laughs> I just love this circularity of looking it up on the DNS because we're talking <laughs> routing. And what if the route you're talking about hosts the inadra.arpa host, the authoritative server of the domain you're worried about? Well, obviously you've got to trust it before you figure out whether you can trust it or not, right? <laughs> not a problem. We have computers to do that. 
We have and computers to do that. We have computers. And, and I'm also course, thinking yeah. about just the number of, of uh, <clears throat> addresses and prefixes that exist for you know, domains that don't actually own their own ASN. And so now all of a sudden you're having a third party manage registration for all of that. That seems like a mess as well. This is, um, this is always going to be true no matter what you do for origin. Right? Yeah. Well, it's a very old draft and it got nowhere. Yeah. So, you know, you're right. Um, the theory, me, me, uh, the practice, <laughs> never going to work. Um, and Those were technical designations. That's a technical <laughs> designation. <laughs> a technical term for, you know, yeah. Um, how do you how do you spell that for email so I can do that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, at this point, there was interest actually from I don't know the security side of the world and the folk who funded this stuff. And um, Steve Kent over at BBN, I, I think, got funding to develop. He was a PKI expert. You know about PKIs, don't you? Brief recap. Um, security often uses <laughs> a lot of people system. listening probably don't so you might yeah well. right so I'll do it very quickly um, there's this beautiful system of public and private keys for encryption and it uses an asymmetric property of certain encryption algorithms I develop a key pair using magic outcome two large keys one small one's large that doesn't matter I keep one hideously private and I put the other one out on the door of my office everywhere. I just splash it about, my public key. Now, if I encrypt something using my private key, only my public key can decrypt it, nothing else. And interestingly, if somebody else encrypts something using my public key, only my private key can decrypt it. So all of a sudden, you can send me stuff that's a secret to everyone but me because you use my public key to encrypt it. And I can send you stuff that I can't repudiate. I can't deny that I said it, because when I encrypt it using my private key, everyone knows it was me. So in a closed world of just us five, this is fine. Here's my public key, you know, share it about. But the problem is there are 7.4 billion other people out there on this, in this planet, and they don't know my public key. So what I do is I tell someone who says, leave it to me, I'll just tell everyone your public key. And they might tell someone else and they might tell someone else. And the way they do this is by using a method of certification. So, right, because you can't trust that someone's going to send you the correct public key for you. Right. It's the same so problem like, as the route registry. <laughs> it's yes. a bit like, you know, lawyers yeah. never lie. So we use notary lawyers to send around truths, you know, because yes. they never lie. So we have these <laughs> folk who never, ever lie, cue semantic, uh, who never, ever lie, who, who, who certify folks' public key. And this is called a public key infrastructure or PKI. So we've now got the beginnings of an interesting kind of solution. Because of what if we were able to associate a public-private key pair with an advertised prefix, an address? And what if we could associate a public-private key pair with an AS number? If I sign something using my private key that is associated with a prefix and put it in the routing system, when you see it, you know it was me. I did that because no one else could have done it because I used my private key. So there's this germ of an idea, and it's just a germ. You know, it's just a tiny little bubble that says, 
possibly if we could associate addresses and AS numbers with public and private keys, we could use that to detect when folk lie in BGP. And that was kind of the underlying model of SBGP or secure BGP. Went through a number of, of incarnations over the years. Um, it wasn't a big thing because, you know, asymmetric key processing requires a savage amount of computing. Yep. Just savage. And, you know, not everyone uses the largest, best, greatest, most expensive router on the planet to do routing, sadly. So, you know, I have this cheap device I bought last week at some, you know, online from somewhere and I want to do secure BGP. It ain't going to work. It just ain't. So SBGP was kind of, oh, it would be good if. Oh, it would be great if. And it never really got anywhere. Um, but it kind of had some very careful thinking, not about what you meant to say, but about the protocol itself. And what it was trying to do was to say, if I wrap announcements in BGP with certificates and signatures, then when you receive something, an advertisement, you can start to verify whether what is being said is the real deal. Did the owner of that prefix allow AS3 to originate that route? Well, if it's signed by the owner of that prefix, then maybe there's a good hint. Did AS3 pass it to AS4? Well, if it's signed by AS3 that they were going to do so, and I see AS3 and AS4 in the path, then maybe this is the real thing, et cetera, et cetera. So the theory goes that if you cover enough signatures in BGP, then all of this will work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> except, oh except when it doesn't. <laughs> Except when it doesn't. And, you know, the problem is that all of this is a hideous amount of computation. You know, let's leave it to computers is kind of, and you want to run this protocol? Right. Back in, back in 80, uh, whenever it was when I first started looking at this, 96, whatever it was, that was the answer that was given. Well, Moore's Law will eventually top out and cause this all to be very doable on current generation routers. It's been 20 years Still isn't happening. Well, well there's so, moving goalposts as well because yeah. lower level <laughs> or, or lower bit encryption keys, which is what you were talking about then, absolutely could be generated that quickly. But we've learned that when the processor speed goes up, the ability to crack those keys also goes <laughs> up as well. Right. So you know, it's it's insanely easy to use ROT13 as your encryption algorithm, but yeah. it's insanely easy to crack it. So yeah. Moore's law says I need to harden my armor to stop folk using yesterday's computing to crack today's right. secret. So you're quite right. Moore's law was never going to solve this kind of problem. The other issue, if you think about this, is that you can't have partial deployment because, again, this whole problem of unknowns. And if I'm signing an AS path, A passed it to B, passed it to, oh, C's not playing. Shit. <laughs> what do you do with all that encryption? Now... We had a similar problem with the four byte AS number. We had a very similar problem. And the way we solved that problem was bizarrely tunneling. We tunneled the four byte information through the two byte world. And that kind of worked. That's always the answer though. Yeah, well, it's I mean, computer science. Tunneling no matter what your problem, add another tunneling. layer of indirection. Absolutely. <laughs> tunnel. Yeah. tunnel. Um, 
if I want to know the authenticity of a path, tunneling doesn't help. Tunneling is a lie, right? Yeah, so that's right. I can't, because you can't, I can't trust secure. anything in the middle that you've tunneled over. You're right. So I can't secure the tunnel. This Easy is a problem. solution. Just peer with everybody you need to do that you need to peer with over a tunnel. And then you can verify it's coming from the right place every time. Sorry. <laughs> I just felt like being a bit ridiculous. But you don't, then you don't need signatures in the update. Either. That's true. Because I'm just going directly. <laughs> yeah. See, that just solves the problem. See, That's computer right. science. That's right. Computer science. <laughs> so the, the first problem is that, that for that kind of approach, and this is kind of getting right into the heart of the RPKI sort of issues, I've got to sign everything and I've got to sort of build a, a sort of sea of signatures that are truly interconnected. Because as soon as I go into an unsigned world, I lose everything. That's a problem. Well, not, not only that, but the signatures themselves say something for a per- certain period of time, right? How long is that period of time? I don't know. Well, no, <laughs> nothing is infinite. So, again, I've got right. to refresh the information. That's a problem. Um, right. A well, yeah, reset. and I guess, yeah. I mean, I didn't even think about that. You have key rotation. I mean, if you're going to really have secure signatures, you have to rotate keys. So, if you so off we go. 000. What about a, a BGP session reset? Yes. Right. Here's 700,000 signed routes, each with a four ASs in the path on average. See you next week. <laughs> yeah. See you next week. If you like. Right. And so if you think 700,000 routes and everybody rolls their key every 24 hours, it's, it's, it just doesn't work. Like, so let's, what? <laughs> so let, let's talk about this a tiny bit more. How do you validate those keys? Well, I need a stash of certificates. And certainly in the RPKI model, I'm not going to put those certificates in BGP. Why not? Because they're too big. BGP will break. Oh, okay. So I need a second protocol to flood the certificates to all of the BGP speakers, right? Absolutely. How fast does that protocol need to flood? Oh, as fast as BGP? As, as fast as the route gets there. <laughs> yeah, right. Faster, because right. you, so, you need the certificate to validate the route. It needs to be there so and installed before it shows I, I up. I need this new distribution protocol that doesn't use BGP, that looks a lot like BGP, but can't use BGP. Good luck. Yes. Good luck. Right. And I've got to get it to every BGP speaker every router. So the nightmare doesn't stop there because, you know, like all good nightmares, it just gets worse. <laughs> routers, Wait, routers need there's to sign more. Things. There is more. <laughs> routers need to sign routing advertisements. So I've now got to get all of my routers with a certificate with their own public-private key. Now, I don't know right, about not, your experience. It's per AS, but it's per router, basically. It's per eBGP speaker. And so so you know, hold on a second. Say this again. It's per speaker. Router. So per so speaker. so on the receiving end, I'm not validating an AS certificate. I'm validating a router within the AS certificate. So that, that certificate exchange it needs to happen. Is it just for yeah. one for each AS? No. It's one for right on. each router that's on. Oh, that's each ridiculous. EBGP speaker. Yes. Now, you know, we are so good with certificates. This is why we use passwords. Because <laughs> we are shocking <laughs> at certificates. Everyone yeah, that's we tried still, to use it. We yeah, still, we still aren't good at certificates, not still, at all. Yeah. The whole certificate <laughs> business is just horrible. So will it stop fat fingers? Of course not. Will it stop the whole issue of customers re-announcing transit routes? Of course not. There's nothing wrong with the protocol. So what will it stop? Well, it'll stop a very small amount of dubious traffic as long as everyone does it. If not everyone does it, you're back on square one. 
So path signing is the nightmare. Path signing is what makes routers melt. It ain't going to happen. So big push for origination signing. Obviously, this is going to help it a whole heap. We will solve the routing security problem by simply making sure that all the originations of prefixes are valid. You're right. You can see the problem, can't you? (laughs) (laughs) One hop attack. Yes. One hop attack. I fake your route by also faking your origin AS. Uh, (laughs) All of a sudden, this stuff becomes an exercise in annoying people. And it doesn't get any better than that. It's just annoying people. So this is almost state-of-the-art today where we're pushing really hard on the RPKI door going, origination is very important. Yet in actual fact, origination to a determined adversary is nothing. I can fake routes anytime you like by simply faking the originating AS. And if you're relying only on RPKI, only on origination, then you have no defense. You are credulous, right? You'll just believe any old shit. So... (laughs) I don't understand why folk are pushing this when we haven't solved the path problem. Yes. So going back, there were several other movements within the routing protocol security world. Funny other, you should mention this for us. You know, Funny just you other, should, <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if you want to talk about those, Jeff, or not. Well, I do. I do. Because I think that was actually a really interesting diversion to the SBGP model. And, and there are kind of two of these. So I'll talk about SOBGP first, and then I will talk about signed IRRs. RRRs. Yes. And yeah, don't, did, I and R are the same. did you ever read the PG, BGP stuff? I did. Fairly, I did. That was fairly interesting too. Pretty good BGP. I don't know. Stuff. I lost the will to live on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't do much for me. Um, <laughs> But let's go to SOBGP because I like SOBGP because I actually think SOBGP has the germ of a fascinatingly good idea. You see, perfection is unattainable, right? You just can't get there. And this whole idea that everyone has to play the game, all our routers need all these certs, need all these keys, need to do all this processing is kind of bullshit. So you look at the routing system and you start to see that the routing system actually contains very little information. There might be 55,000 AS, ASs themselves, but there's only about 75,000 separate paths. And in fact, there's only about 80,000 separate AS adjacencies. So to fake a path, I need to fake an adjacency. I need to say that AS2 is connected to AS3 because I'm faking it. But if I'm the only one saying that and AS2 isn't really connected to AS3, that lie must be able to stand out. If I can make that stand out, then lying in BGP in the AS path becomes really hard. So rather than trying to certify where a route propagated through the network, why don't I take the model of SOBGP and simply say, if you're my neighbor, that's public, you'll see it in route advertisements, I'm gonna sign some kind of attestation, signable thing that says I'm connected to AS3. Oh, and by the way, It's my upstream or my downstream if I really want to get tricky. But I don't even need to do that. Just simply saying we're neighbours is actually really cool because I can learn that. Way back, you've forgotten, haven't you? BGP uses TCP. Remember, 
That's right. BGP remembers too. So I only need to send you that pairing information the first time I use it. And then every other time I do an update that contains that pair, I just need to reference it because you already know that I've given you the credentials to understand that's a good part. And the other thing is it actually supports partial deployment. Because when I see a path that has a number of adjacencies and a bit of fluff and then a number of adjacencies, I can kind of go, I sort of trust it, but I'm not too keen. And if I see a path where all the adjacencies have been certified, I'm kind of happy that that's the real deal. And so this idea, which makes the security folk nuts, that goes, <laughs> it's, not, it's not true. It's plausible, right? It could have happened. And so the only way you can lie... the just-so version of BGP security. The the just-so. The only way you can lie (laughs) is if it could have happened. And it's sort of... (laughs) It gives you variations of belief. You know, you you have either a fully signed, a partially signed, or a not signed at all, and you can make decisions accordingly. That makes a lot of sense. Right, but again, when you get to the end point where all the adjacencies are signed, there aren't that many. Right. Don't forget, too, there are only 5,000 ASs in the core. So if you do origination and do the core adjacencies, it's really, really hard to lie in BGP. Yeah. The because average ASP every path has, yeah. you know, one of those cores. Yeah. So this is starting to look really, really good and to security folk, really, really horrendous <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and <laughs> that, oh, there you that, go. that system looks brilliant. And in fact, you can do it all in BGP. Why aren't we doing it? Because ah. it's not perfect. Well, A, it's not perfect, and B, it's politically sort of the wrong time. The IETF spent a lot of time procrastinating over RPKI and has simply run out of energy and momentum to say, well, that was a waste of effort. We are unwilling to drop it on the floor. And so because we're unwilling to drop it on the floor, a successor that kind of looks a little more practical has this problem that everyone's just lost enthusiasm for it. So SOBGP is sitting there going, shoulda, coulda, really regret we didn't, but, you know, it's not dead, but it's certainly in the zombie land right now. Yeah, it is. You've got to wait for someone to put a silver stake through the heart of RPKI, particularly through (laughs) AS path validation. (laughs) And and Russ, it ain't me that's going to do that, despite what you just heard. Uh, <laughs> but it is dead, you know, it is really, really dead. And so we so search was, for... Al- yeah, there was another one you were going to talk about. Yeah, what we search for alternatives. And the other one is, you know, when I said that the IRRs, it was just ASCII text, Yeah, right? right. So because I went to iradb.merit.edu, therefore the answer must be true. Mm-hmm. Great security model. I went to this domain name, therefore. But what if, and this is the interesting bit, what if we signed those entries? Now, you kind of go, well, who ever does that? How do we fight spam? We use DKIM. What's DKIM? Well, it's domain keys in mail. Yeah, right. And so in some ways, if you were able to sign route registry data, then a number of things happen almost immediately. Because it's signed... You don't care where you got it from. That's right. Because it's signed and dated, you said it. 
That's right. So and that, if you so didn't want to say it, you better delete it because you're saying it and you're signing it. Therefore, yeah. I believe you. And so there's incentive to clean up after yourself. There's incentive to say the truth and only the truth. And for the sort of client, it doesn't matter where you got it from. If it's signed, you can believe it. And so yeah, in some ways... Mirror, you could mirror a bunch of IRRs, take all the signed data records, merge the ones that you have from different ones, and the ones that are signed should match, right? And, and, and even if they don't, they're both true. So yeah, the right. union of stuff right. is still the truth. And yeah. so in some ways, this is undergoing a slight renaissance. <laughs> it's not completely dead yet, right? There, there is a minimal pulse going on. It's in my in presentation signing. tomorrow at right, by the way. It's not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it also moves the processing power to the right place because the if for all of the key validation or whatever, that would actually happen in the registration. You right. wouldn't need each individual router. You would just say, I trust this, this registration database of whatever. They've validated the keys from the originator. And so I can trust their information. Or am I you know, wrong there? You know, there's this fascinating business contradiction out there to everyone who operates a business. And it's, you want me to expose all my business policies in a routing security framework? Yeah, that's, that's All my backup paths, all my thises, all my business arrangements? I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. But you're doing it in routing. No, I'm not exposing the backups. I'm only exposing what I do. And there's this real resistance to kind of tell all in a route registry. Plus, RPSL is still a maniacally complicated language. Oh, and there is still a real reluctance of anyone out there in the operational area to create routing filters based on an automatic culling of what you see in route registries. Because if anyone gets it wrong, you're, you're killing yourself. And so the theory says, great. The practice says, I'm watching you guys. I wish you luck, but I'm not doing it myself. Yep. So pretty much every security conversation that's ever happened anywhere. I'm watching you guys. <laughs> it's really interesting, but I'm not going to do it myself. Yeah, totally. I want security, except for if it's going to actually drop any traffic, because then, yeah. you know, then, then it's, then it's no know, good. Yeah, exactly. So in some ways, we've got the same problem with the route registries. And it's really difficult to get that last step that says, Everything I see is so believable, I'm going to trust it implicitly. Now, I'm almost to the end of that except for one wrinkle. And again, you've got to think about BGP and you've got to think long and hard about how good is it anyway in being secure? Because the one thing we haven't talked about is withdrawal. Because the other way for me to make your life hard is not to send everything. And in fact, to withdraw stuff, to say, don't use me. So I hear good stuff, perfectly valid, wonderful, IRR tech checks it, SOBGP, it's really good stuff, but I don't tell you. Now, you can't stop me. You can't stop me withdrawing information. You have no idea why I did it, and you can't force me to be honest. So in some ways, that last little bit, of trying to make withdrawals validatable. We've never been able to, to manage. We don't understand that. And in a distance vector protocol, I'll go one step further, you never can. You never can, that's right. You never can look into the heart of the BGP neighbor to go, did you really mean that? And the answer is, it's a secret. 
I'm not telling you whether I meant it or not. I'm not telling you whether I'm just being, you know, I'm having a bad head, hey, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> or I really haven't got a route, you know. Yeah. And, and to some extent, you've got to understand the limitations of this approach, that underneath this is still a certain amount of trust, no matter how we try and secure it up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah, that's the way it always is going to be. You can only solve 80% of the problem. Maybe. Well, this is this whole plausibility issue. And what you're trying to do is to make the lies acceptable or at least not damaging. Yes, right. And if you started to say, I'm going to pin down adjacencies, and because of the very nature of BGP, it's not an N-squared mesh. It's actually a small hub and single attachments. It's actually really easy to do basic topology. And it's really easy to do adjacency. And everyone at the stub is a customer. You should only ever see them as originating. If you started to introduce that kind of information, you've actually got a handle on what you expect to believe and expect to see, which means the lies have to be in line with conventional thinking anyway. Right. And it kind of minimizes the impact. So where do we go from here? Hmm. You know, there's an awful lot of folk marketing, an awful lot of RPKI. And I, I, I wouldn't say it's completely snake oil. It's only about 99.39% snake oil, right? <laughs> there's a small amount of something that's useful. But in and of itself, origination doesn't solve the problem, right? But that's the only bit that's really useful in RPKI because the path protection mechanisms are just hideously in an, in an outer orbit on their way to Pluto. We're never going to get there. We're never going to hope of getting there. It ain't going to work. Yep. But the will to throw out that good security stuff and get something that is rough and ready, that works in real routers, that we can do in BGP, that the will to actually take that and standardize it has basically vaporized. We just don't care enough. So let's go further. Why don't we care? Because it doesn't cost us enough. So let's understand why not. I bank, I bank with my good friends, the Commonwealth Bank of Akamai. Because whenever I go to my network bank, the IP address that I get given is not my good friends, you know, Jeff's bank. It's an Akamai address. How do I know that's not a routing attack? because it smells like it, way down at the IP level, yeah. I went to somewhere that is Akamai, not my bank. My bank has IP addresses. I presume they have some kind of network bullshit there. So I'm being subjected to what looks on the surface like a routing attack every single day. And I'll go further. Almost every single website I visit is yep. the victim of a routing attack. Yep. Because there's always a, there's always a man in the middle. Well, and you can't can't fix it because if you do, you break the way the internet works. Well, I'm pointing out, (laughs) right, that Akamai, Cloudflare, all those web hosting folk are actually doing routing attacks. They're substituting their address for the address of the real site because, you know. So how do I know it's still my bank? Well, these days, my bank's really cluey. They use HTTPS. And what's going on? What's going on is that my bank has talked to Symantec, who never lie, 
<laughs> never ever lie, and said, here is the public key for our bank's domain name, certified. Now, anyone who presents evidence that they have knowledge of the private key is as good as being your bank. Yep. And don't forget, Symantec never lie except when they lie. <laughs> don't anyone mention SymantecCertifyingExample.com. We prefer not to think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so actually but, we are at an hour, right, Jordan? Or close? Yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're getting close. Probably have to wrap this up here. Okay, yeah. I'm going to get really close and I'm going to sort of come around to this. So sometimes, okay. I suppose, other technologies have lessened the sharp problem of route hijacking. Yes. Securing BGP is not, I suppose, a commerce problem anymore. It's not a case of faking websites anymore because if you use HTTPS, you're kind of all right except when you're not. Yep. So there's one thing we can do to make even that better. Either use Google and Chrome all the time because Chrome pins Google domain names. And so even Symantec and all the lying they do can't break that. Or, and this is where I'd really like us to go, we use a belts and braces approach in domain names and start using Dane, which is actually domain keys in the DNS itself, protected by DNSSEC. So now when I go to a domain name, I can actually say, you should expect this ah, CA yeah. and yeah. only this CA to certify this name. If Isn't anyone else a, is trying, yeah, there's a DNS record. It's a lie. What is what is that? Um, yeah, what, there's a TLSA record. Yeah, TLSA record. Yeah, right. So in some ways, like many things in the internet, you can solve this problem at a number of layers. And for the, I suppose, nuts and bolts of faking, fraudulence, fake websites, you don't need to make the routing secure. You just right. need to understand that the application can protect itself. Yep. So why do we still worry about routing security? Well, the issue is, I suppose, if I really was a nasty person, I could still take you offline. Now, you might know you're taken offline, but that doesn't help. You're offline. And so it doesn't discount the issue that routing security is important. But it does say that for a lot of folk, it's not the burning issue. It's then, not their business. Yeah. And, and so that's why I think in terms of the amount of attention routing security gets, it's, it's kind it's of much lower. Yeah. ratcheted down and, and the will to find a new solution is sort of dissipated at this point. There's not much money in it. No one really wants to spend the money. We'll live so with the lies. Where, where's the yeah, where's the business case? Yeah. Right. So no we'll, we'll live with the fake news as long as we can contain it. And as long as the websites sort of work and Symantec never lie, except when they do, uh, we'll just be fine, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks, Jeff, for coming on and giving us all that. It's really cool to go back through. This is personal history, guys. <laughs> it's horrible. It's personal history. Russ is over there cringing the whole time. I know. I've been tilting it since 1997 or 1996. And you know what? It's just never going to get any better, really. I'm presenting on it to write tomorrow about exactly what Jeff is talking about, that it just is what it is. We can do some things, but what can we really do? And in the end, in a packet switch network, you've got to trust the end-to-end -end host to do the right thing. The routing in the middle is the routing in the middle, and it is what it is. So, Jeff, tell us where people can find you. AP Nick, right? And Poodoo, yeah, I, I work Poodoo. at AP Nick. 
So I'm their chief scientist, G-I-H at apnic.net, and you'll find a website of all this blathering and more. Uh, there's a small Australian animal called a potaroo, P-O-T-A-R-O-O. So you'll find me at www.potaroo.net where I, you know, I, scream yeah. about bike shedding and cameling and all kinds of things. I was going to say, if you read my blog ever, I point to Potaroo an awful lot and to Jeff's stuff on APNIC. So, Donald, where can people find you? You can find, me on, you can find me on Twitter, yeah, at me, not you, Sharp. Okay. And Jordan? Sure. Uh, my website, jordanmartin.net, on Twitter, at bcjordo, all the regular social media sites, and always Network Collective. Yep. I'm Russ White. You can find me at rule11.tech. See. Jeff's going to know what Rule 11 is. And <laughs> you can also find me at, uh, at the Network Collective all the time. So thanks, guys, for coming on. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the Network Collective History of Networking. 